What is up, Baton Rouge, and welcome back to the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements here as always with Jarrett Roser of TigerDetails.com, rocking some pretty sweet shades inside, which I guess uh, LSU team is probably rocking those too after a nice 19-3 win over Mississippi State. It wasn't necessarily the uh, prettiest game, especially offensively, that it's I've real seen. Ugly. But uh, to escape against what we thought was going to be uh, and, and really prove to be one of the better defenses LSU's seen all year, to get out of there 19-3, to um, another ranked win under their belt, and now they head into the bye week before Alabama at 7-1, and 4-1 in the conference. So I was at a wedding this weekend, had to watch. I, I, I caught glimpses of it. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Kim well, and, and yeah, husband. Uh, Taylor. Kim and Taylor. Cool. He is a Boudreaux, so if you want to insert a Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke, there's or Boudreaux and Ulysses joke. There's some room for that. <laughs> there's Boudreaux and Ulysses jokes. Got to be now. Um, but you texted me before I got to rewatch it um, the next day, and said, <laughs> "Get us, get a snack and a drink because this thing is, this thing is ugly." Uh, and sure enough, watching that first half, I mean, if it wasn't for a Michael Divinity interception setting up a what was it a four yard drive essentially to, to punch it in which still wasn't easy to do from that point. The only touchdown of the game, um, God, the offense really struggled, and Joe Burrow called it his worst outing or his worst half of football. His worst half of football in his life and said that he threw the football in the first half like a middle school (laughs) kid. How much of that is tongue-in-cheek, and how much do you think that was actually legitimately the worst half of football that Joe Burrow has ever played in his life? I think a lot of it is him just kind of – being hard on himself slash taking as much of the blame as yeah. he could, but in a in a fun way. It was, I mean, it was ugly. And honestly, I mean, they moved the ball better in the second half, but the only touchdown in that game was, as you mentioned, set up on a three-yard field thanks to Michael Divinity's first career interception. The offense just was not good. Uh, the defense was great to hold – uh, to hold Mississippi State down as well as they did to three points on on that second drive, the the drive after the uh, Divinity interception. But you know, I really I don't get that concerned about that. On the heels of the Georgia win, it was a rainy night. Mississippi State's defense is very good, and so would you have liked to have seen better? Yes, but I'm not panicking now with no. that Alabama game two weeks away no not at all and the one thing I kept saying to everyone everyone at the wedding was super concerned that it, I mean I guess you, you don't get to watch the game a ton at, the, at a reception or whatever and everyone's kind of just checking the score and maybe pulling up highlights here and there whatever my biggest thing that I kept saying all night was just just for this kind of game especially in the rain especially against state especially with Bama on the horizon you got a bye week to fix whatever D- just get out of there with a win I don't I don't really care how ugly it is just this is a game that I think a lot of people circled as a quote-unquote trap game, which I guess if you're playing a right team, it's not really a, a trap game. But what you knew it's going to be tough. The state beat you by 30 last year. They have a lot of the same guys back, a really good defense, really good front seven. Um, my, yeah, my biggest thing was just find a way to get a win and just get out of there in whatever fashion possible, as healthy as possible, um, and, yeah, get into this bye week before Bama. It's not really a health issue, but I guess – we're going to get into numbers about people who may or may not play for free Devin white. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. You're not going to have a lot of weeks from me where 
seven straight drives from LSU go three yards and it took them every bit as you mentioned to get in the end zone with that three yard field and then nine yards zero 13 three negative six negative two and me give you a pass but mm-hmm. I'm really not and maybe you know maybe those shades are rose colored but I'm just not that concerned with no. with the the stumbles because of all of the factors at play. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that, and especially coming off of uh, some of the big games they've had recently, and, it's just it's just a, it was just a weird spot to play in, weird game. That it, it was just weird. And sure, like all the the trap game talk, it's it's tough to gauge that because it is a ranked team, but it's also between playing the number two and the number one team, right? But there was obviously a lot of focus after the way that Mississippi State beat LSU last year to uh, to come back and have a strong showing against them. But honestly, when you play that many games consecutively and then you come into a physical game against the Mississippi State on the heels of, in particular, the Florida and then Georgia games in three straight weeks, but also having had no break up until this point, that just wears on you. And so, yeah, I, I think the bye comes at a good time and – would you have liked to see the offense execute a little bit better and, and look a little prettier? Sure. But at the end of the day, you just beat number 22, 19-3, and are now a one-loss team uh, with that one loss coming to a top-10 opponent and are in the top four in the country. Yeah. I mean, and so I, w- I wanted to use this week of the podcast to look mainly at Mississippi State. We'll touch on some of the stuff for Bama, but we'll really get into Bama next week and use this week to recap State and then kind of look at a sort of a I know it's we're more than halfway through the season but sort of a pre-bye week uh assessment of where LSU stands and um who has impressed us and that kind of thing but <clears throat> Joe Burrow again not a super impressive stat line I mean he said it was his worst half of, of football he's played um 16 of 28 for 129 with an INT only to be outdone by Nick Fitzgerald who finished 8 of 24 with 59 yards and four INTs, a QBR of 9.8. You probably could have suited up Jarrett Roser and had equally uh, as good of a night. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't agree. <laughs> you think you could have done it better <laughs> or worse? I do not think I would have performed as well as Nick Fitzgerald against LSU's defense. They were dynamite. They were dynamite uh, last weekend. Um Let's talk about the offense. Let's let's just get let's get the bad out of the way when we go to the offense. Um, obviously, Joe's day wasn't wasn't great. There were some drops from uh, Jefferson and Dylan had a couple. Uh, Bursette, seventeen carries, fifty seven yards, and the touchdown. I, I, not necessarily a bad day, but just it's, it's hard to get anything going really against that front seven. Uh, Clyde with sixteen for forty six. Um, you know, your leading receiver had 29 yards. Just the really the only the bright leading spot. Leading receiver in the game had 29 yards That's, on three catches because yeah. Mississippi State couldn't throw the ball to save their lives either. Yeah, I, I guess the only bright spot offensively. Well, that's not even offense. A special teams. Oh, I, when you when we did players of the week, I was going to try and sneak Cole Tracy by you and see uh, if that counted because he's the he's the most effective weapon they have on offense. Like, and I know that I have said we have to pick different players every week just for the sake of the podcast. I don't I don't know where I when we get there. I don't know. Something just double dip on Cole Tracy, but um, four for four just. Uh, I mean, dude's been lights out all year. He's going to be one of these grows a finalist. Um, He's leading the country in field goals. And honestly, crazy. you look at LSU being one of the top teams at converting in the red zone at 92.1%. 
and a huge percentage of that is Cole Tracy field goals, mm-hmm. particularly when you look at the last two weeks with nine over the, over a two-week span. There's not a lot of teams in the country that have relied on field goals to be a higher percentage of their scoring output in the red zone. I was looking at some of those numbers on Monday, and it's it's something like, um, yeah, so LSU is tied for for seventh in most red zone trips, and they are also in the, the top ten in, in percentage scoring uh, once they're there. Or, no, they're number 20 in the percentage of red zone trips in which they score – but their forty eight point six percent, forty eight point six percent of those scores are Cole Tracy field goals, which is also uh, seventh best, seventh highest percentage of of red zone scores being made up by field goals. So they they've been getting to the red zone quite a bit, and they've been able to score, but they've had to rely on three far more often than most teams have. So. You can look at that a lot of different ways because Cole Tracy has been an absolute blessing for Dude. this team. Uh, but in in games like Alabama, you're going to want to cash more of those in for seven. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. Like what's also impressive to me about Cole Tracy is not only just that he's making kicks, but it's the spots he's making them in too. I mean, he's he drilled 250 yarders the first two two weeks of the season. He's missed 250 yarders total. Those are only two misses on the whole year. And besides that, he's just been, I mean, lights out. He, obviously, the winner against uh, Auburn is going is to come out. He had four kicks against Georgia, five kicks against Georgia, right, mm-hmm. um, for this past week. I mean, it's, it's not only that he's just making a quantity of kicks, but it's in all kinds of spots against big games. This past week was rainy. There could have been all kinds of issues with, I mean, give it to the really the whole crew, the snap, hold, um, and kick. But he has just been so consistent, so reliable. Does that an absolute game changer from where they were last year with Culp and Gonsolin having to switch duties and no one really taking that, uh, that bull by the horns. And I mean, even extra points dude, just been, just been automatic and it's been huge for LSU. Like the numbers. Don't jinx read. this man. Don't, don't say, you know, he's never no, missed an you, extra point because Justin Tucker just went yeah. through some things against the saints on Sunday and gave we the world one of the best gifts that yeah, we're going to have forever. That, that we do not want to see Cole Tracy making that face in two weeks. No, no, we don't. No, we don't. Um, that's and if I, he does, you heard it. It, it was Mark Clemens. Yeah, you did. can. Yeah, it's obviously it's my fault now. If any kick for the rest of the year doesn't go through, especially in the big spot. So thank you. So let's move uh, defensively. That's about all of the offense that I want to talk about right now. That was um, hard to watch. But defensively, dude, these guys were all over the place. Um, Grant Delp is having a pretty decent year, I'd say. Grant Delpit per Ryan Clark is having yeah that was huge yeah. the best the best year by a safety that he's maybe seen in college football um, certainly he's he's putting him up in the top of the ranks in terms of LSU history he says he doesn't even consider himself to be in that conversation but uh, then you see the conversation turn into a little bit of Jamal Adams taking yeah. exception again to to how much praise Ryan's giving him. And uh, and a little bit of back and forth. Obviously, it's been fantastic to watch both those guys over the last few years. But the, I mean, to see what what Grant has done in so many different ways, all over the defense as a sophomore, to lead the country amongst DBs in sacks and in interceptions, leading the country in interceptions now, and mm-hmm. um, more sacks than any other defensive back. It's it's crazy. I mean, he's just all over the field. I mean, and this is why. 
a few weeks ago we had the discussion of if he compares more to a Jamal Adams or a or a Tyron Matthew, and it's just uh, I kind of hate comparisons in some capacity because you just want to let him be his own player and not try to draw those comparisons. But just the, his impact and and how many different spots he's stopping the run, he's getting interceptions, he's forcing fumbles, he's getting sacks. He just like that. There hasn't been a player who's been that impactful on this stat line since Tyron Matthew. And when you look at like the 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 quote you just had from Ryan Clark about the best safety, what was the time frame you put it on in the past three decades or something? Yeah, I mean, he, I basically lumping it in with right the Leron Landry's, Eric Reed's, Jamal Adams. I mean, elite company that he's putting him up there with, and saying he's had the best one. And the dude is only a sophomore. It's it's just insane. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, it's just so much fun to watch and he does not cease to amaze you he has the two interceptions he was laughing after the game somebody asked him what he saw on uh, on his interception and he just kind of smiled and said which one (laughs) and there was the big play in late late in the third quarter when Mississippi State was still kind of trying to get something going up around midfield uh, going forward on a fourth down and he's in the backfield so fast that he overruns Fitzgerald gets back up on his feet and then chases him yep. down for the sack that really kind of sealed things there. It's, I mean, it's just, I don't know how else to describe it other than it's a lot of fun and I hope everyone's appreciating it for what it is because it is one of the better seasons you're going to see. Yeah, no doubt. And he um, he led the team. Three guys had 10 tackles, but he was, he was one of them to go along with his two interceptions. Another guy who just stood out to me, and, and I'm kind of surprised to see him only with four tackles, but I mean, Mike Divinity, we mentioned earlier with that first interception, I feel like the entire first quarter he was just kind of all over the place he had a he batted a couple of balls down um made some big tackles at the line obviously the early interception uh was it him who had the inter- well no it was Fulton with the interception that was called back on the yeah. Devin White call but um yeah man Divinity was all over the place uh Delpit Devin White and Jacob Phillips each finished with 10 tackles followed by Rashard Lawrence with eight but this is I feel like we've said it so many times about if this is the best defensive performance we've seen from LSU this year and every game it's kind of creeps up and gets a little bit better but and I know State's offense is not dynamic and Nick Fitzgerald just struggled throwing the ball but this defense was just all over the place really after that first drive when Fitzgerald busted a 40-yard run and it looked like he was going to have some success there they they really buckled down and found a way to, to stop the run he's the all-time SEC leading rusher for a quarterback and did a pretty good job of keeping him in check. I know he got 130, but um, he's kind of been the the bread and butter of their offense, and LSU did enough to, I mean, hold him to three points. The, the defensive performances all night was as dudes were everywhere flying around. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of guys. Grant had a phenomenal game. Mike Divinity had one of his best games at LSU. Christian Fulton, uh, you know, right up there with the week before as, as his best games probably – and you expect a lot from Devin White and Rashard Lawrence, Jacob Phillips. I thought John Battle played really well. Neil Farrell stepped up. And you went into that game, and there was a lot made of Mississippi State only allows oppo- opposing offenses to convert 25.9% of their uh, third downs, and that's one of the best percentages by a defense in the country. And then you look up, and LSU has held Mississippi State to 2 for 14, which is – about half that at 14.3%. Yeah. And they had that first, well, not the first drive, but the first drive after the interception where they drive down and go uh, 73 yards and get the field goal. After that, 
it was it was really just nothing. And mm-hmm. the forty five yards of penalties on that one play made that their second most successful drive of the game That's at crazy. that point. Just on those three penalties before the play before a couple other plays extended a little bit more. And then John Battle obviously kind of gets a little bit of revenge for for his part and all that and gets his interception. But they were just the LSU defense was all over the field and looking like the defense that we talked about prior to the season, maybe being one of the best in the country. I'm still confused by that the double penalty on the celebration. I still don't, is there an, do you know an explanation for that? I get the the one on Devin, and then I get the one. I, do you? Because a lot of people don't get that one. <laughs> I, okay, I at least get the call. I, yeah. How if you call it, if you want if you we'll get into it, if we think it's targeting or not here in a second. But if let's say a targeting is called and then a celebration is called, it's two separate events, so it's two penalties. I've never seen fifteen and fifteen for one celebration with two dudes. Maybe college is different than the pros, but I've, I've never in my life seen forty five yards of penalties. It was bizarre. It was a it was a really bizarre. I, called it surreal on the Devin White penalty. That that whole moment was just so weird that it almost felt unrealistic as it was happening. The fans were not pleased. Oh no, they booed those uh those jokers and stripes the entire rest of the game <laughs> until, say for the last until the guys ran into the locker room. Yeah. And now there are 13 free Devin White billboards up around the Birmingham <laughs> so, area. Let's go ahead and let's just go ahead and, and address it cuz that's what's the hot topic of this week, but So question number 1 was it forget the suspension part was it was it a flag period or was it was it a targeting flag or do you think the entire situation is too harsh to even throw a flag there i was surprised when i saw the flag and i've tried to watch the play a couple more times but only had that that one main angle yeah which is not a great one and so i have a really difficult time seeing obviously protecting players and particularly protecting quarterbacks has become such a huge push uh you know by leagues and officials the past couple years but especially this year it's been such a huge storyline in the nfl but we've seen a lot more targeting calls on situations like this at the college level the last couple years too and so if there ends up being helmet to helmet contact which it looks like there may have been, but I can't really tell from the angle for sure other than assuming that when Nick Fitzgerald's head moves that it's because of a helmet-to-helmet situation. I mean, I could see a penalty coming into play. It's it's just tough because it didn't look like a vicious hit, and we keep having this conversation now over and over again of what is a defender supposed to do Yeah, because what they can do keeps getting limited to a point to where it's almost like, can you do anything? And then you look at the the replay from the Bama Tennessee hit and say, well, that was way more violent than what Devin did. Like Devin's just pushing a quarterback mm-hmm. down to try and end a play to either get a sack or you know hurry a pass and have the end result be obviously Christian Fulton's uh, second interception there for a second. But it it's just a tough it's a tough thing to call to me. But in the the overall big picture, I'm not as surprised that something gets called if if referees saw something happen to Nick Fitzgerald's helmet. Yeah, and I think the I guess the toughest part in, for me is not necessarily it's it's so much easier for us to watch this and watch the, the slow mo replay forty five times and make a decision. Like I get them throwing the flag in real time because you see Nick Fitz, Nick Fitzgerald's head kind of snap back a little bit and your gut instinct it just looks like a flag so you throw it and I'm, that's fine because it's I'd much rather you throw the flag and protect 
the players and then have the chance to go back and look at it and and decide if it was the right call or not. The part that's really frustrating to me is that there's no – I was surprised they reviewed it, and I guess maybe just the camera angles they had to work with are the same ones that were kind of surfacing, not the ones that are from guys on the sideline on Twitter or whatever. After they, you know, They're using the official game camera, and there's not there really isn't a great angle from there, just the one that you, that, that you were talking about. What's frustrating to me is that there's – first of all, there's no level of – like there is in basketball, you have flagrant one, flagrant two. There's no right. level of targeting of, you know, is this warranted of, okay, a 15-yard penalty, and okay, that's fine. It's yeah, just, there should be levels to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, it, just seems, it just seems very harsh that there's not, number one, that there's not levels, and number two, that there's no semblance of an, an appeals process like there is in a lot of other sports or other leagues when you can at least – have them look at it again and decide. Okay, was this was this fairly or unfairly uh, called and implemented? Because I, again, the letter of the law, the the idea of the rule, the spirit of the rule, is, I think is a good one. I just think this is like these are not Devin White's hit on Nick Fitzgerald is not what they're trying to prevent in football. It's, there's a lot more aggressive hits, um, and even if the, there was there was no ill intent on on Devin White's part, which is. Which is the most frustrating? I think if you just look at letter of the law, it might have been targeting, but the the law is is flawed in the in the the process to decide if he needs to miss a half or and all this is is even more flawed. Yeah, I like your your point about potentially revisiting it to where there could be levels because it's one thing when a play like that ends his night a little early Mm -hmm. but to have that carry into a completely different game when it's something that if it did check whatever boxes necessary to uh, qualify for a targeting rule still just seems so mild by comparison that that starts to get kind of uh, kind of tough and obviously I mean situations of this nature where a play was a little bit closer and a guy had to miss the first half of a game have have come up elsewhere and we not have not necessarily talked about them because it wasn't LSU and it wasn't one versus Mm -hmm. four looming and all that. Uh, So this one has a lot more of a spotlight on it. And I recognize that, but at the same time, whatever the circumstances may be, it does just seem like having to miss the first half of another game over something that is at least this level of controversial is, I mean, it's kind of tough. Yeah, it's super tough. And like you mentioned, everyone's kind of freaking out a little more than they would normally. You know, if the Rice game was this weekend, it wouldn't be quite as big of a deal. The fact that Bama is around the corner is kind of what makes it super frustrating. But, yeah, overall, I I wish there was some kind of way. Not only just, I mean, obviously, yeah, we're talking about it because it's local and it's Devin White, but it's, it's a flawed, I guess, system call process overall um that i think needs to be addressed and i i would imagine with the 62 6235 dollars raised i'll just go fund me to hashtag free devin white um maybe they'll at least draw some attention to the to the calls here yeah there's there's 13 billboards up and honestly folks that are interested in still going to donate to this they've they've said that the the excess money is being donated to the LSU vet schools uh, equine department. Yeah, that's obviously, nice. Yeah, obviously Devin's a, 
a big fan of horse riding and all that. And so uh, already 2,500 plus is going to LSU vet school, which is, is a really cool part of this to me. That part of it is really, really cool. When I, when I first saw this happening, I maybe I've read too much into it. I thought these people were legitimately thinking that a billboard was going to cause the SEC to make some kind of rash changes overnight and free and actually free Devin White. I don't know that they didn't don't think that. If that's if that's the thought process, I think it's mm, silly. It's their money. I it's, mean, it is their money. <laughs> it's definitely their money, and I love that the excess is going to the the equine department. That's nice. Um, I think at the very least, if you're looking for what's gonna what could actually be a tangible outcome of this, is that it, it's a, at the very least bringing attention to not only SEC headquarters or a lot of people around the conference, LSU and Bama fans, of course. Um, but I think maybe even nationally get some people talking about this and could lead to a rule change down the line. And, you know, we've already seen Jimbo Fisher get questioned about it. Coach O was questioned about it. Nick Saban was asked. The, the more the conversation is brought up and these rules are discussed, you, the more you, you ask me about it. So all the heavy hitters are involved. The, <laughs> Jarrett, Jimbo, and, and Nick, those are my three. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I don't think Devin White, there's nothing that's going to happen to get him – in the first on the field for the first half of that game but i think this could lead to this not happening uh in the future potentially as quickly as next year when they have you know the sec meetings and talk about rule changes and stuff i would not be surprised if there's some uh some kind of tweak to this targeting rule and, and at least allow for either levels of targeting targeting reviews or levels to this is this a reference that I'm missing? It is. I'm just going to leave it alone. I can't finish it. Gotcha. I'll look. I'll, I'll Google it. I'll ask the Google after this. Um. Yeah. Let's not. I don't. I don't want to get too much. You want to read? I just. I just closed it. I wanted to My read. Twitter. I wanted to read your tweet because that, that oh, was yeah. a good point that that you, that you made after. Uh, so in the past six weeks since the Auburn game, and some of it had started before the Auburn game, but it really picked up after that for obvious reasons. In the past six weeks, LSU fans have donated a lot of money to Assumption College in Massachusetts because of Cole Tracy and the game-winning kick against Auburn and just being thankful for him. They've raised money to uh, go toward the cost of fans rushing the field after the Georgia game. They have purchased 13 free Devin White billboards in the Birmingham, Alabama area and are now donating at least 2500 to the vet school's equine department. So there's a lot of purple and gold money flying around the country for a lot of different causes just in support of this extremely fun football team and i can't wait to see what happens in november because if this is a six-week span and we still have four weeks of of season left um where else can our money go i know i like somebody (laughs) something's got to go out west i guess I, i mean i don't know I don't know why, but <clears throat> if you guys want to Venmo me some cash, I would not, uh, you know, give your give your weekly podcast hosts a little yeah. loving. I would. I didn't have lunch today, so I'm hungry. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so sad. <laughs> it's, it's more busy than money. Oh. I got, I got money. I'll take. <laughs> I will always take more money. I got money. <laughs> um. So for the next few minutes, while we wrap this uh, this episode up, I want to just kind of look back at where LSU stands heading into the bye week, while we have a little a little breathing room before we. Before we hit Bama, and just kind of talk about at the end of the year, we're going to go so back and are we officially Cole Tracy and Grant Delpit are players of the game. I yeah. always forget this. I literally always <laughs> is, forget. But yes, that, yeah, they okay. are. Yeah, they are. The game was that crappy that I'm not going to go back and readdress. 
I don't, no one else deserves it besides those two studs. Um, yeah, at the, at the end of the year, I'm, I'm going to go back and we're going to, I'm going to pull some of the clips from, <laughs> I can Ooh. see your face already. Ooh. Pull some of the clips from our preseason prediction episode. Jonathan Giles got some yards <laughs> to get in November. Did, did, did Chris Curry for you too? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I bought into you were feeling some, the hype. some of that conversation. I, should, the hype. I typically listen to what the players tell me kind of off record more than I do whatever's being said at a podium. Uh, and Nick assured me that he and Clyde were going were gonna to hold on to the job and lead the way. And they just, it, I don't know what, I was just <laughs> believing O a little bit too much that day. So I'm really excited for that to get to the end of the year and see uh, – see how smart or dumb we look in in all these predictions but uh just a, a real quick recap lsu obviously started the year with a big win against miami took care of southeastern nice win on the road against auburn which ended up has turned into not quite as nice of a win given their kind of their slip up in the past few weeks um la tech win old miss win the lone loss on the road at number 22 at the time florida who's now crept into the are they, are they 10 yeah they're in the top 10 boom uh, biggest win of the year against Georgia, and then last week the win against Mississippi State. If I would have told you LSU was seven and one entering the bye week, a would you have believed me, and b would you have would you have thought they would have gotten past the gauntlet of the schedule with the lone loss being Florida? I probably would not have believed you. It would have been difficult for me to believe you, believe you that they would be a one loss yeah. team at this point. It's it's been a phenomenal job. It really has been and I I can't credit that coaching staff enough. I you know I I'll, I'll just leave it at that. They've done a really good job. I've been really impressed with the way that with that early success they continued to stay as humble and hungry as they did when they were already exceeding expectations from every direction and continued to look at the flaws that were getting a little bit hidden because they were winning all of those games and they continue to get better. And the Florida loss, I really just, I don't think is at all a bad loss. Obviously, you know, as, as Foster pointed out, they would like to be one game better and would have thought mm-hmm. that they internally feel like they would have thought they would have been one game better at this point. But they were down one point to a really strong football team on the road uh, at the, at that point and and lost that one and when you look at the gauntlet that they went through a word that we've used a lot to come out of that with only one loss is is really impressive and sure I mean we even said going in the Miami ranking was higher mm-hmm. than made sense to us Auburn has not looked as good in recent weeks Georgia I think we'll see kind of shake back but maybe wasn't the second best team in the country they had some of their issues and we talked about some positive matchups for LSU in that one, but they beat all those teams. Yeah. So at at some point you have to respect the fact that, all right, maybe they didn't, maybe the three teams that they beat aren't three of the top eight teams in the country as they were ranked at the time that the games happened, but they beat three pretty decent football teams. And and then the others, Louisiana Tech's a really good football team. Ole Miss's offense is good. Defense stole trash can emojis, but (laughs) Mississippi state's a really good football team and they were right there with Florida. Yeah, and it's especially like like you mentioned, those teams may not be as good as what we all thought. But then, I mean, compare. I know everyone loves comparing schedules. I mean, look, but just look who Bama's played. It's not like LSU's had Bama's schedule and just kind of waltzed through with some wins against 
whoever, Bama's, whoever. Bama's in for their toughest matchup. I mean, it's, of I'm, the not, it's really not even close. Besides, I guess A and M, who's up to fourteen or so now. I mean, Louisville, Arkansas State, Ole Miss, ULL, Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee. I mean, I can, I, none of those teams. I don't know how many of those teams are going to finish. No, it's bad. I mean, it's that's it's rough. It's rough. So I guess. Yeah, LSU schedule. Maybe Miami isn't as good as we thought, and Auburn slipped, and whatever. Uh, it's still, it's an impressive schedule overall, and the spots that some of these wins came in were huge. And I think, on paper, I don't think this is a. I don't mean this in any insulting way, or anything, but there's not an overly talented. There's not a. It's not littered with a bunch of first round dudes who are going to go tear up the NFL next year. Um, but the team it just is coached super well. They execute super well. They have leadership. They're disciplined, and it's uh, coach. I got a lot of a lot of critique for you know the Matt Canada to Steve Insminger thing, and then you bring in Joe Burrow a month before the year starts, and just all the question marks we talked about all year with trying to replace guys and trying to replace your two leading receivers with a bunch of dudes who hadn't really caught passes before, and they've just found ways to make it work, and it's been very impressive, and it has to make you feel confident for the next couple of years at least under under Coach O and if Innsminger and Arena hang around and all that. It, Before we act like this roster is a bunch of bums. I'm thinking, that's why I said I didn't mean De- Devin White, Greedy Williams, right, and Grant yeah, I guess, Delpit. The defense is stacked with a lot of – I guess, yeah. Uh, I, most I, of that defense is going to be playing on Sundays. I spoke too soon. I'm looking at the offensive stats right now in front of me, which is what has me saying this. I mean, I, Joe Burrow might end up in the league somewhere at some point. I, you know, I don't think he's going to be like a – an NFL starter. He's not, he's not Danny Yetling, all right? I mean, it's not... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I think there are some good receivers and linemen that down the road you're going to see be in the league, too. I'm interested to see what a lot of these guys do, really. Defense, though, defense you're, looking at a yeah, lot, yeah. you're looking at a lot of NFL talent on that defense. But, to, I mean, to your point, yes, they have done a fantastic job, and I cannot credit O and the coaching staff and also... You know, something that I was really big on going into the season that I said if, if they had success, a lot of it was going to hang – a lot of credit was going to hang on the the senior leaders in terms of the players who I think have also done a phenomenal job. I, you know, I was really skeptical from that perspective, the the coaching staff and, and how things were going to go if, if they ran into a little bit of turbulence early. And I've been incredibly impressed with just the way they have managed – themselves as a team so far this season yeah i mean no doubt i wrote my damn cover story for 225 on how good this could be the best lsu defense under david reina so far so um didn't mean to slight the defense i like i I guess my point was i don't see leonard darius odell and jarvis on this roster at the at the moment um what are you counting i'm trying to think of where all those guys got drafted and think if if you can look at I can, well, not I that think, all those dudes played on the same team either, though. Um, right. But I think you're I looking – when you look at some of the guys on that defense, I think you're looking mm-hmm. at some, some top half of the first-round talent. Obviously, that starts with, with Grant and Greedy, but uh, I think some other guys are going to be in consideration for relatively high draft picks at some point. Yeah, and I, I do think that some of these young receivers, like I think Jamar could turn out to be a yeah. really special. Jamar's um, going to be serious. Yeah, I mean, Terrace Marshall's had some – starting to come on here recently. I mean, Justin Jefferson continues to kind of – we talked about preseason sort of be a surprise. Um, who has been, if you're going to have to say, your offensive player of the – again, not the first half, but offensive player up to bye week. Uh, Ooh. 
is there a guy who it could be either a surprise like you know we didn't think he'd be as good as he is or just an overall just uh has been a stud for you i you know i've been impressed with with a few guys i think we were led to believe that damian lewis was going to be pretty good and i think he's kind of lived up to that joe burrow is kind of an easy answer at the quarterback because He's done a really good job of being the leader for that team, and I, you know, I think his statistics have been what they've been, and they've been kind of up and down at times. But what his intangibles have brought, and just his toughness mm-hmm. and the way he carries himself, I think has been major for that team. Uh, Justin Jefferson has put up a lot of yards, and you know, been a pretty notable guy the the first half of the season. And so he's he's another one that stands out. And one that we probably would overlook would be Lloyd Cushenberry, who yeah. has had a phenomenal first half of the season at that center position with every all those pieces moving around him and D. Lou. He's done a, a heck of a job, and, and so I think a lot of credit needs to go to him too. But, uh, I mean, the list kind of goes on because both yeah. running backs have been really good. But, and, and it's been like one of those teams that this is you haven't had – I mean, like a – Again, not all, I don't mean to say keep trashing these dudes at all, but like you don't have a Leonard that you're giving the ball to 25 times a game. It's been this has been such a team effort in every aspect of the of the offense, especially with Joe's had his his fair share passing and rushing. Um, you just mentioned the running backs just now at the end. Nick and Clyde, I think, have exceeded what I thought they would do. Nick's already got 10 touchdowns this year. The way the, <clears throat> the running backs, the way this season's going, and Clyde coming on later, and Nick already being up around 700 yards. They both could, by the end of things, be at a thousand yards. Yeah, which is is certainly exceeding a lot of expectations. And I think it's you just look at the perception going in, and I think we talked about there were a lot of really talented but unproven wide receivers, young wide receivers. So there was a lot of potential talk there, and the running backs. It was kind of a you know there are some dudes there. It's and they, they might be decent, but it's not going to be what we've seen from the superstars in, mm-hmm. in recent years. And you've seen all of those guys really step up more than I think people were giving them credit for just because there's a lot of hesitation to do so. For me, I mean, if I'm if I'm picking, I kind of start with Burrow and Cushenberry because I think just starting in the middle, the two guys um, at the center of it all and making as many calls as they have. But, I mean, the, the cast of of weapons around them has has been really strong as well yeah and i don't want to i totally agree and this season has already been super fun i don't mean to look too far ahead but if you think about all the pieces coming back on the offensive side of the ball next year um it could be it could be special and a lot of that defense is i mean you're gonna miss some some huge guys uh defensively but a lot of those dudes are also going to be back and Next year can be a lot of fun, but but we'll get there. Um, so same question defensively. Obviously, Grant Delpit is going to be the first guy that, that kind of jumps out. And I think we all knew he was, he was going to be super talented. I think he even probably exceeded what we thought he was going to be doing up to this point. We knew he was going to be solid, but he's the second leading tackler on the team, leads the nation in interceptions. Um, Grant's been incredible. God, him and I mean him and Devin White together out there is just it's fun to watch. I mean Jacob Phillips has come on really strongly. You can go all over the defense and really take your pick of, I mean just about any starter out here and uh, and have a valid argument for for being a player of the year. Yeah, I th- I think 
for me, defense is a little bit more clear cut with it's Grant mm-hmm. versus all y'all, so to speak. Grant versus all y'all. Devin White's had a really good year, uh, <clears throat> but we expected Devin White to have a really good year. Rashard's been good. Greedy's been good. You expected that from them. Those three, you went in and said these these guys are superstars for this team, and we're waiting to see just how high of a level the guys around them would play. And for the most part, it's been it's been pretty impressive. I think guys have been kind of the high end of of what your expectations for them would be. I think in recent weeks, Ed Alexander and Christian Fulton have really come on strong and kind of exceeded some of that. And it's gotten to the point now where Christian and Greedy, as we mentioned last week, is that's a cornerback tandem that is among the best in the country at this point. But mm-hmm. Grant Delpit is playing like one of the best football players in the country, regardless yep. of position. And all that Devin White yelling Grant Delpit for Heisman, at some point people outside yeah. of Baton Rouge are going to be talking about that a little bit if he continues to play at this level. Yeah, Honestly, if he plays at this level against Alabama – people around the country will be talking about that yeah no i agree and i think the only thing he, i get i i can get on a pedestal about what my thoughts on the heisman i think it's a they it's turned into a, a, such a late season award and i hate that it's all pretty much offensive only award so i mean uh, uh delpit being in that conversation legitimately is probably far-fetched but i wish he would get more i, I wish he would get that kind of love um to say the only thing he's missing i guess returning punts but we can i would not be I would be totally okay if you want to throw number nine back there instead of number 12, who I don't think he's caught one standing up in about three weeks. That was an adventure. Every um, single time was an adventure. <laughs> adventure is a nice way to put it. Um, they, I mean, blast the Millie Vanilli, blame it on the rain, whatever. But <laughs> it, it's, been, it's been an adventure. I'm just still shocked they haven't tra- just tried. Some, I mean, I, they threw John Trey back there for like one or two of them, something like that. Yeah. And that I don't know, man. I guess you just trust sure-handedness and you just want to go with that. Whatever. Um, the one thing that I think – not the one thing. One other thing that stands out to me defensively besides the play of some of these individuals is how they've found a way to still bring pressure on on quarterbacks from a variety of ways despite Chase on being out of the for the season so early. I mean, he was, he was going to be relied upon. They were joking, half-joking before the year started. The players were – that Chase on was going to break the sack record, and he was, you know, they were talking about getting twenty something sack. I mean, he was supposed to be, the, you know, the Arden Key of this year, and for him to go out so early, and LSU still find ways overall to to get pressure on quarterbacks. A lot of it came from Divinity, and a lot obviously from from Delpit. Uh, Devin White's back there a lot. Doesn't have a ton of sack numbers, but uh, just in terms of quarter, he has six quarterback hurries, which leads the team. They've, they've found ways, I think, just this scheme-wise, not that anyone questioned Dave Miranda, but to see him be able to kind of piecemeal that, that aspect of the defense together has been also really impressive. Yeah, that honestly, outside of Calavon, that was a concern going into the season is how would they generate pressure when teams focused their protection plans around Calavon Chase on because they didn't have anyone else that you looked at as, as being – a very sure threat in that capacity. And so they're sitting there around the middle of the SEC right now in in sacks and a lot of that has to a lot of that credit has to go to Dave Aranda and the coaches and just a lot of different looks, a lot of different guys involved in a lot of different ways and that starts from a personnel standpoint obviously with Grant Delpit, but 
you've seen so many. I mean, you watch the replay of the the divinity interception, and it's not what you're looking at in terms of. Um, I mean, I guess you end up with the pass rush off Devin White just kind of selling his role there as a linebacker, but you had two down linemen, two edge rushers, and then two linebackers standing up. Both edge rushers drop back in coverage. Linebackers take off late, and Devin gets a pretty clear path toward Fitzgerald. Meanwhile, Divinity's out there like a safety position, and just the different looks that they're giving opposing offenses has been incredible to to get some of uh, some of that defensive success going. Yeah, I love like like you just mentioned. It's so fun to go watch the replay. I always I talk about the, re- the replay just about every week on uh, on Sunday or Monday before we do the podcast, just to catch anything I may have missed at the game. But it's so fun to go back and watch some of those games. And if you can find a way to sort of slow it down and just watch where dudes line up versus who ends up, like you just mentioned, who ends up blitzing, who ends up dropping back. I mean, as it, it's got to make offensive coordinators crazy because it's different every single snap. You never know who's coming. It sort of predicts who is coming. And then when they do come, it's a lot of one-on-ones. And he'll get one-on-ones with Grant Delpit one-on-one with the running back or Devin White coming full speed against the running. They find these matchups that – is going to be advantage LSU, you know, whoever LSU is blitzing or bringing uh, just about every time. And it's it's super creative to watch and super fun. I think it gets overlooked kind of in real time a lot of times. Yeah. You just sort of see the result of the play. But if you ever get a chance, if you're a football guy or whatever, uh, get or the chance girl. to go back. Or girl. If you're a football person, sorry. It's 2018, 2018. What am I? What am I doing? If you're a football person and you get a chance to go back and watch some of these things and <laughs> uh, sort of assess it, it's, it's fun. Getting those those one on one matchups was kind of the the storyline on Aranda when they yeah. announced that hire. That was the kind of chorus that kept coming back to. We're gonna get one on one matchups with you know we're gonna try and get one on one matchups that we feel good about winning. And uh, you really, I mean, you've seen it throughout his tenure here, but you have really seen it reach fruition this year. And I mean. Just like we were saying about Grant Delpit and heck of a season, hope people are appreciating it while it's in front of them. Mm-hmm. Go, go slow down some of those those games and watch some of the things that Dave Rand is doing on defense and appreciate it while he's here. Yeah, because uh, it's it's a lot of good stuff. It's special. Just enjoy his time while we while she's got him because never know where he might end up in the next couple of years. Either never know head coaching spot somewhere NFL maybe. Uh, what yeah. I do, what I do know is Jared just threw the shades back on, so I think he's giving me a, a sign that he's, it's time to it's time to close this thing out. Um, <laughs> what you got coming on Tiger details this week? Obviously, I'm going to keep being cryptic. Um, See, I, I like that. You know, I've, I've been hinting at a couple things through the course of this podcast, and I th- I think we've got a couple of interesting things that just kind of things that I guess you would expect. From a bye week, uh, a big feature that Sam's working on that I know a lot of fans are going to be really intrigued to mm. to hear more about what the latest is uh, with this young gentleman. And we'll be catching up with a lot of recruits as the coaches are uh, and, and looking at how some things are shaping up as LSU continues to head toward National Signing Day. I, you know, they just added Keishon Booty to the, to the 2020 class, yeah. and they've still got some – some pretty noteworthy things cooking behind the scenes, both 2019 and 2020. And so I'm interested to see how some of that shapes up in the week to come. Um, 
I guess people can find out more on TigerDetails.com. And still Ryan Clark going to be there for the for the bye week too? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ryan and Jimmy will prob- probably be chatting in the next day or two uh, after breaking down some, some of that Mississippi State game a little bit more. And I really need to get with a couple of these other former players and get a couple podcasts out right now just kind of looking at uh, up up to this point in the season uh, performance breakdowns of, of some of these other position groups. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for this one, this episode of the podcast. We'll be back with you all next week. Uh, be sure to follow, like you just mentioned, TigerDetails.com and at TigerDetails on Twitter. He's on Twitter at Jarrett Roser. I'm up there at Mark Clements 225 And don't forget all the – what, you got something else? I was just going to – I was waiting for you to finish. I'm going to yell free Devin White and save the horses. <laughs> Save the equine. Uh, the rest of the 225 brands, facebook.com slash 225 magazine and Instagram and Twitter at 225 Baton Rouge. And I'll, I'll let you close it out, Jared. We'll do that. Free Devin White. Save the horses. Thanks Save for listening. The world. <laughs>